from the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. New York City, jacked up. It's like it always is. I don't care what anybody says. It is a bit of a ghost town. There is uh, just not the same things that, that there once were in New York. You know, like, well, like fun, like comedy clubs, like theater, if you like that shit, musicals and stuff. Uh, I guess there's no movies anywhere. But, uh, you know, this will be the last place that gets any of that stuff back. And some of the last things, you can't even go shoot pool, as far as I know. Retired detective Pete Peduccio. Hey, Pete. How are you, Pat? I'm all right. What do you think about New York? It's, it's kind of like not uh, what it once was. And no, not at all. Not even close. Me a shell of its former self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like me. Uh, it's, <laughs> I fit right in here now. Uh, well, I got 10 years on you, so... Don't even go there. You, you, there was more to you to begin with, though. Well, <laughs> sure. more, more to whittle away. <laughs> but it's, it's terrible out there. Do you uh, miss anything going out or anything like that? Do you miss any of the, uh, the old businesses that there once were? The, the night spots, the day spots? Well, just you know, regular restaurants. Your regular places that you used to go in. You know, have a nice meal. You know people there. Uh-huh. They're yeah. gone. I went into one on uh, a place called Rosini's on 38th Street between Park and Lex. Sounds Going nice. there 10 or 15 years. Old school Italian. And uh, they reopened after Columbus Day. They cannot do outdoor dining the way the building is set up. Uh-huh. So we went in. We sat down. The food was great. It was great to see all faces. You look around the dining room, there was maybe three other tables with two people each of them. And I have to tell you something. As good as it was, enjoyed my meal, it was depressing. It really, I didn't know whether to be elated to be go back, to go back to my, one of my main spots right. or be depressed. What I, night was it? Weekend? Uh, it was middle of the week. They uh, just reopened, maybe a Wednesday or Thursday but night. Would, but there'd normally be people in there. That place is crowded every night of the week. Oh, yeah. Um, Thursdays, Fridays, they always have a piano player. Oh, man. They don't have one no more. But they do still? No, 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 no. Okay, piano spreads COVID. Well, then then on the weekends, they used to have opera singers um, that would take requests. Well, that I could probably do without. It's actually pretty good. I suppose if you're eating uh, some nice Italian food and you have a nice aria being yeah, sung in the background. You're sitting there, you're having a night. I'll tell you what about what I really like about the place. When you, They're old school guys. You walk in there, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, they treat you like a long lost friend. You got an old school guy comes in, hey, how you doing? Come on, sit down. Hey, ooh, how you been? Wow. Um, That's great. And that's not just something anybody can do. No, you can't. And and another thing is, is that when you sit down at the table, there's nobody rushing you. They'll take your drink order. When you're good and ready to have a appetizer, he comes over, he gives you the specials. There's never any rush in the place. I like that. No matter how crowded it is, they don't rush you. I'm usually starving by the time I get to a place like that, so there's no, uh, there's really no need to rush me. I'll, I will get the meal down plenty quick. But I, I do like that feeling of like, that you can linger for a minute, you know, and, and enjoy yourself. I mean, I always think, like, charge what you need to charge for the food so that you don't need this table the second I put the last fork full of food in my mouth, you know? Yeah, well, I, I'm not going to name the place. Actually, the place just went, went out of business. Very well-known steakhouse here in the city. And uh, it just goes to show you different personalities, different types of people. We're sitting there, uh, myself, uh, Joan, and a friend of mine. 
nice dinner. Really nice time. We we hadn't seen each other in a while. Not me and Joan, but me and my buddy that was there. Mm-hmm. Have a nice dinner. We're talking. And the place is getting pretty empty. It's like 10, 1030 at night. This jerk-off manager comes over and says, uh, we're going to have to move you to the bar. What? So, and then we're almost finished. We're having our coffee or after dinner drinks, whatever. And yep. like, well, we're going to be, he says, well, no, you don't understand. He says, we got a big party coming in here. We need this area. Mm. So I'm like, excuse me? And uh, I says, yeah. hey, guy, the place is empty. All right? We're the last cut. You got a big party coming in now at 11 o'clock at night? That's and, ridiculous. Uh, yeah. Number one hospitality rule, you know, they always say is the customer is always right. Um, but this one a little beyond it is that uh, finally my buddy, who's been there numerous times, turned around and said something to the guy. He says, hey, this is not right. And this guy wanted to stand there and argue with us. Oh, okay. man, come on, dude. We're leaving, all right? No, we're not going to the bar. We're leaving. And as this guy continued. He followed us out to the street. You're kidding me. To push his point. Why? He's That's a, a dick. Because he knew he was wrong. He was a dick. Um, wow. It was just really rude, uncalled for, at a very well-known steakhouse. How was the, the food was probably good. The food okay. was excellent. And now they're out of business. They succumbed to the coronavirus. I feel very bad for the owners. I, I think that uh, you have to be very careful when hiring a manager because this is the face of the place. Yeah, Speaking he subsequently he got, wound up getting fired shortly after that. Well, I'm sure it was completely unrelated. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> a Brooklyn woman facing felony charges for allegedly pummeling a two-star NYPD chief during a night of violent protests uh, right here in Manhattan. She's accused of intervening. I don't know if intervening is what I, she's accused of. I would think of. that's probably a uh, poor choice of word. I think it is. Whoever wrote it. It's probably obstruction of governmental administration. The New York uh, Post. Uh, it's, uh, it's what it says she's accused of intervening as Assistant Chief Stephen Hughes, the commanding officer of Patrol Borough Manhattan South, was assisting in the arrest of William Bedouin just before 10.30 p.m. Wednesday. So, okay, look. I just have a problem with so she's accused of intervening as he was arresting. That's I, I don't to say punching an officer is intervening is uh, that that's hardly an intervention. You know that's more. Can you imagine that if you set up an intervention with somebody and you're like, okay, yeah, have, well, <laughs> you'll start punching him in the face. Up until the recent past, like last year, you punch a police officer in uniform, it's felony assault. Yeah, and you would go through the system. Now it's just another thing you get a desk appearance for. You're dealing with these impulse control little freaks that, you know, they're not, they don't think anything through. Everything that they do is a result of an emotion, mm-hmm. not of a clear thought. E- easily triggered as well. Um, Steve Hughes is also a big guy. Yeah, he, He's not a guy that you would want to go punch in the face because if he punched you back, he would ring you a bell. But Steve Hughes is a class act and a gentleman. The patrol borough commander, I mean, he's out there, he's with the troops, he's out front. What does that mean exactly, patrol borough commander? He is in charge. Manhattan South is uh, 10 precincts from the Battery up to 59th Street. Uh-huh. Um, South. Manhattan South. And he is in charge of all those units. Wow. That's yeah, a That's a big job. It's that's, a very big job. That's enormous. It, There's you know, only what, what's above that? Like... Um, <clears throat> what, I mean, I'm trying to think of what would be the next thing. There's not too much between that and where you're not in a uniform, really. I mean, the All range. patrol commanders, uh, borough commanders are equal. 
Some are more equal than others. You know, it, it's the cream of the crop. It's the, you know, number one patrol borough to, uh, it's always been a launching pad Man, to go south. further in your, oh yeah, without a doubt. Oftentimes the guy who's the patrol borough commander, he's going to move up. He's going to be, go up into the ranks of the super chiefs. But one thing that was unique with patrol borough Manhattan South and for many years, was a certain amount of, maybe 15, 20, maybe more, I don't know, two-star chiefs. They're big jobs. Three-star chiefs, that's what we call the super chiefs. It used to only be five or six, maybe about eight or nine now. But at times over the years, the patrol borough Manhattan South commander would have the third star. Ordinarily, borough commanders are two stars. He would get a third star. That was the kind of emphasis that they put on mm-hmm. Manhattan South. Right. Okay, so what's what's so immediately above that would be the super chief, the three star. Super chief, that would be the... Chief of Patrol, chief, uh, chief of Detectives. And they're over the whole deal. Yeah, like the Chief of Detectives would be in charge of Detective Citywide. And that's what Robert Boyce used to be, right? Robert Boyce was Chief of Detectives. And he would, so the Chief of Detectives, I found, usually is the one who talks to the press about per- criminal cases that involve uh, detective work. Usually. It kind of ebbs and flows over the years. Um, Ray Kelly used to do a lot of his own speaking. Right. Um, yeah. it, it all depends on who the police commissioner is. Some police commissioners like to do their own stuff. Some guys will, you know, designate. Like uh, Rodney Harrison is the chief of detectives now. Yeah. And you see him quite a bit. Right. Um, That's smart for... Uh, oh, shit. Shea. Dermot Shea, of course. I mean, like, he has to be probably pretty... Uh, he's. It's a very political job. Well, it all depends on the taste of the whoever is the police commissioner at the time. Um, some guys are comfortable with that. Some guys aren't. Right. I, I, I get it completely. Yeah. Ray would be, Ray Kelly would have, was very comfortable uh, everywhere he went seemingly. And, uh, I'm sure that Dermot Shea is as well, but I mean, you know, in like if, uh, in terms of talking to the press, you, the environment right now would teach you, uh, would, you know, that it's not always, doesn't um, always go smoothly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't always take you for what you mean. But anyway, this woman, Rachel Menard. Well, okay. Chief Harrison is... An experienced guy, he's a sharp guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does very well. Menard uh, allegedly punched Hughes twice in the face as uh, this guy, uh, Bedouin, 23, was being cuffed outside 16 Jones Street. Now, uh, he was being cuffed, and she punches one of the officers. Right? I, I cannot imagine any good result here. It's funny, no, like you said, this, it's this is impulse the crap, control, right? This is the crap that's tolerated. Just a few years ago, Absolutely would not be tolerated. Was this an official change, or is this just a change in the uh, AG's, you know, kind of... And a lot of it's got to do with what's what's going on now in the not, city. Not the AG, I mean, but the... Uh, the city council with the uh, the use of force bill with... Um, and and then the prosecutors started charging stuff different. The, well, uh, the prosecutors the aren't DAs. charging stuff. That's the problem. Yeah, so or the, they'll drop the charges. So the DAs are just not... They're e- Even punching a guy. But it is still a felony assault. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, I think she's charged with that, I believe. Yeah, you can charge it. And then when it goes down to the DA's office, it's going to get knocked. Especially, I mean, you might get punched, but you might not have a serious injury. Okay. I guess it also depends on uh, who's doing the punching to a degree and for what. And these kinds of situations yeah, are the, these, untouchable. They should not be. You know what? You shouldn't be raising it. I, I've always said this. If you want to go out and protest, fine. I don't have a problem with that. You can go out there and scream. I'm starting to have a problem with that even, to be honest. Well, well, because they don't stop screaming. There's no limit to what yeah. they do. Every day since last May, it's like, we yeah, we fucking get it. You know, but the flip side is, 
if the cops were allowed to do their jobs, if prosecutors charge these people, mm-hmm. if you put them through the system, it really takes the wind out of their sails the next time they think about punching a police officer. Yeah, it's that little bit of practical education that they did not get yet. Uh, With this present pack of Bolsheviks in New York City between the mayor, <laughs> the city council, the district attorneys, it's not going to happen. People have tended to believe that I was exaggerating and calling him a communist. It's not an exaggeration. It's the deal. And, and as far as I'm concerned... I don't think there's a difference in a Democrat and a communist right now. I think if you're a Democrat, you're basically, because the left wing of the party is running things, and they are most certainly influenced and even controlled by that, at least by that ideology, if not by China itself. The problem is these people like lemmings running over the cliff in this mad rush to the left. Uh It's It's like, how insane can we get? It's It's incremental over the years. And then, oh, this year was boom. a stamp. This year was a stampede. This yeah. was just insane. This year, what went totally? On. They, they t- once you pass a certain point, you know, you get so close to the ledge. I guess you know, you, there's no fear of it. It started coming two or three years ago when Cuomo started with the. Uh, they wound up passing a bill where 16 and 17 year olds would not be charged as adults when yes. they commit major felonies. I remember, and I and I when I saw that, I says, "This is going to come back to haunt us in spades." Yeah. The problem being is that who's committing most of the violent crime? It's people that are in that demo- that age demographic, yeah. 16, 17, 18 years old, mm-hmm. and you're just turning them loose again. Yeah, exactly. And and they are not, they, they, you know, people like, oh, they're school kids. These are just kids. You know, it's a different reality. You have to look at the actual reality and not dramatize it uh, in any particular way. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a, <coughs> excuse me, it's just a, it's a bad situation, and like you said, once they started doing that, then it's it's certainly decent de-incentivized. Well, what happens when they turn eighteen then, and you start, and they they will be. Well, then you just get know. arrested. You get a desk appearance ticket. The DA still doesn't prosecute you. So it's it's. it's so they had know. that two or three years, like well, you said, to grow into this. Well, that's where I that's where I kind of went off point. The point being is that they started that a couple of years ago, and then January first this year, the criminal justice reforms kicked in. Everybody's getting loose. Short of, like, really just committing an outright murder on, on, on a city street, everybody's getting cut loose. Yeah, hate crimes, uh, you know, stuff like that. People, you know, the, the Jew-slapping woman, we talked a lot about her. You yeah. Know, yeah, I mean, she was kind of the poster child for that. It was a guy who robbed, he was suspected in four bank robberies. Let him out again. They let him out again. Allegedly. Guy, allegedly. Well, they definitely let him out. He was, but he was alleged. <laughs> but the feds got involved on that one, and they were just like, "No, come and on, they put his ass in jail." They put his ass in jail, right? Because you know, Jesus, which is enough's enough. Uh, you know, which I, I've hopped on this before on your show, out in Seattle and Portland, when they were attacking federal facilities, there should have been a much stronger push to charge these people with federal crimes. Oh yes, yeah. Um, I mean, out there, they have. Given up, you know. Ted Wheeler got reelected very narrowly. He was running against a member of Antifa, whose campaign slogan was "I am Antifa." Well, I'll <laughs> tell you what. That particular lady, um, come on, and he barely won. She made Bill De Blasio look like Ronald Reagan. That's how far out there she is. Wow, that's saying a lot. Yeah, that is one twisted woman. Um, well. 
she she was at a some kind of rally with a dress on. I a, saw that. A print dress. Yes. And it had pictures of Mao mm-hmm. and Shay and Stalin and, you know. Like, Wait, Shay. Who's Shay? Shay Guevara. Oh, Shay Guevara. Oh, right, right, right. I was. I, we were just talking about Dermot Shay. No, 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 no. Dermot no, no. Shay and Chairman Mao in the same dress. Yeah, no. That's that's different kind of Shay. Different Shays. You know, it, it's one thing if you like, oh, I believe generally in a utopia and all that kind of shit. You know, okay, so you got fooled, whatever. But I got, but somebody who was like... Mao, yes, Mao, murderer of up to a hundred million people. We don't really know. No, yeah. same with Stalin. Yeah, same with Stalin. Pol Pot. They they both made Hitler look amateurs, and yet Hitler is the one who gets all the flack. Well, history is written by the winners, and um, and I guess technically, yeah. And, and Hitler was no slouch at killing people. Stalin. And, I mean, Stalin joined the right team at the appropriate time. You know, Hitler was no slouch. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, they they way outdid him. You know, I mean, Stalin and Mao killed way Stalin's more. Stalin's mass murders began long before Hitler even came to power. Stalin was, uh, uh, he had a major hard-on with the farmers, with the, so I guess what you what today we would call the small businessmen, farmers, shop owners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was man, a word for them. I can't remember what it was. Kulaks. Oh, cool, yeah. And he wound up starting with the collectivization and... And when things didn't go as planned, because communism never works, he just started whacking people. And they went from killing people to starvation. And they think, ballpark figure, 5 to 10 million kulaks in the early 1930s died. Yes. He so. was he was mass murdering when Hitler was banging cheerleaders. Uh, yeah. Or his cousin, I forget. I think <laughs> he was involved with his cousin oh, yes. early on in his career and subsequently committed suicide. Well... You know, he, I'm sure he was a nice guy. Now, he liked uh, dogs. He he was a vegetarian, and he was a vegetarian, and he and they were he was staunchly anti-cigarette, anti-tobacco, anti-smoking. Yeah, well. he was very much like uh, you know, Mike Bloomberg <laughs> in a few ways. In some ways, um, you know, but he didn't have as much money. Like I said these are guys: Stalin, Mao. Mao was absolutely vicious, and as Mao got older, he unleashed the. Cultural Revolution in 1966. The Great Leap Forward, The right? Great Leap Forward killed maybe 50, 60 million people, maybe more. Nobody knows. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it repeats itself. You move into Cambodia after the, after we pulled out of Southeast Asia uh-huh. with Pol Pot, uh, the Khmer Rouge. A lot of what you see today, especially with this indoctrination and these self-discovery sessions, which we may see after January 20th this year, depending. Yeah. But why not? Man, that's straight out of the Khmer Rouge playbook. Right. It's it's very it's it's like the uh the, the kneeling and kissing the, of the feet and all that kind of stuff we were seeing with BLM like way early on and as this the, shit started. The Khmer Rouge what was different about them is they started training their kids a lot earlier than a lot of these other uh, communist societies, and by the time these kids were 10, 12, 13 years old, guess what? They were becoming the killers already in those regimes. They were turning in their fucking parents. Yes, and now, not to the extreme in this country, but here you are, you got these kids 18, 19 years old with going to really good schools and, and, and children of privilege and stuff, and they're out there ranting and raving, you know, about a... Pr- what oppression do these people know? What hardship have they lived in their life that they're so fucking angry they got to go out and punch a police chief? Well, they're self-righteous about it, you see, because they're doing it on behalf of somebody else's 
fucking uh, hardships. You know, I think that's a big part of it. So they love not being racist more than they love being free. I mean, they've got no reason to be free. That's but, the problem. People have no reason to be free. That's anybody who doesn't mind the lockdown had no reason to be free. Well, I, I like my freedom. I I like a lot of things. Yes, and, of course. Uh, yeah. You're well, of an age, any communist your age is, is a mental deficient. You know what? This My than, age, even. Other than Bernie Sanders. Um, but you know what? He, by the time he's just you a liar. Hit, by the time you're established and moved along in your life, you know, a lot of that stuff, that revolutionary zeal, wears off and when you become accustomed to things like toilet paper, clean well, water, electricity. Well, and if, when you have kids, I think that affects Yeah, but you lot. become used to stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah, you get and, these comforts of life. You know, these little creature comforts, like, you know... Like you mentioned, you know, or Q-tips or anything else you might want to buy that's, that you don't want to suck. Remember in 1984, you're talking about how shitty the fucking liquor and the cigarettes are, you know, but you just choke them down, you know, because you need it. Um, they want to re remove all enjoyment from life, I think. I, I really do think that removing enjoyment is a big part of it. It's part of the conditioning. It's part of, like, this hardship that you're supposed to endure. Well, that's like de Blasio's whole M.O., Bring everybody down to the same miserable level. Mm -hmm. When everybody's miserable, he will have achieved success. And you know what I realized is that's what they're talking about. When they talk about white privilege, they're not talking about some like vague thing like, oh, you uh, you you were served first in a restaurant or what, you know, whatever the fuck that. But what's really about is I've been able to mostly walk around in my life in places where I felt reasonably safe. I haven't had to be in you know, a, a, a really shitty environment. And, and they go, well, that's the white privilege right there. You you feel safe. Safety is a privilege well, of your race, in their opinion. You know what I mean? Well, and that, that by dragging every neighborhood in the city down to, you know, the level of East New York or, you know, depending on how far they're shooting with this, then, you know, that's, they'll, they will equalize it. We will all be equal. We'll all be miserable. Right. We, but we'll all be equal. Equality is more important than happiness. Or, or, as, <laughs> or as I've heard said in the past, embrace the suck. Yeah, you you need nothing. They need to take away any. There's nothing to strive for. It's unattainable. No, but I think the Blasio just goes out of his way to aggravate people. He really does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. The other night, I have something to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've, the other night, I get off the FDR. And I'm, there's a detour ahead. I'm heading northbound, and I get directed into the parking lot of the old water club on the East River. So you wonder, why am I driving through the parking lot? Because they're putting in another bike lane, what used to be the exit ramp of the FDR at 34th Street. Where does this insanity stop? It's, it's and, until it's all bike lanes. Well, and, you know, if people want to bike, great. More power to you. doesn't need to be all bike But there lanes. needs to be fairness the way it's done. And one of the things that they've used with the, with the COVID restrictions, there's no public discourse. There's no community meetings. There's no commentary on it. People are not allowed to register their aggravation. How about that? It's funny how that works. Well, it's working for them real good. Yeah, I know. And, and that's not an accident. You know, uh, they they use a disease or this virus or whatever to just shut down everything, to send everything. Yeah, you know, I, I go on about the, it's the little things that really piss me off. Yeah, you know, the other anybody that's been on the LIE, if you 
go to get off Woodhaven Boulevard. That used to be right turn on red. Wow, the one place in the city? Well, no, there were there were a couple of places, but it was done. It was been there for since the LIE, LIE existed. They changed it. They put a regular steady signal in there. The traffic trying to get off at that exit backs up two miles onto the LIE now. That was the goal. That was exactly the goal. They you know, want you out of your car. They want you out of your car, but you know what? Last I heard, this is America. I have a choice. Yeah, you could, you, but now it sucks. And a little bit more. You're dealing with systems that don't operate very well. You know, the LIE, I'm sorry, the LIE, Long Island Railroad. Right. You know, the transit system. Um, it's they, a reasonable choice to want to drive your car. You own it. You want to use it. The roads are there. What the fuck? Why and are you I'm making willing, it suck? You know, I'm willing to pay the car insurance. I'm willing to pay for the gas. It's a huge expense. And I the pay my. I pay my... Uh, metro pad. You know, this is all stuff I have to... And you know what? I do it because it's what I want to do. Sure. Yeah. No griping about it. You just, you know, you just do it. Just do it. And and then, uh, but but they want it to suck so bad that you're, you're just like, fuck it, I might as well take the train. Might as well be, you know, because then we would be more equal again. I'll tell you what, you know, getting around Manhattan, even getting around the city in general, subways are great. Yeah, they're great. Up until in the last year or so, you get on a subway, and it's like a rolling living room for homeless people. And it's uncomfortable. Some of these people are crazy. It's disgusting. People yeah. crapping and just garbage and bleh. You know, it was clean before. It was like, it but was nice. Up until, up until a few years ago. Yeah, the Bloomberg it, days. I mean, like, when I, when I was on the train from 2006 to 2012, it was perfectly clean. Subways were clean. They were safe. Mm-hmm. There's nobody down there now. Um, you get on a train in the middle of the afternoon, and there's nobody there. It's much less. Well, everybody's so afraid of COVID, I think. you know. Um, I've, I haven't seen a, a train where I couldn't get a seat since March, since since. Since this shit started, since they completely locked everything down. And you know the subway only runs now, what, 19 hours a day? Yes. That's yeah. that's not happened in 150 years. Since the invention of subways in New York City. Since the invention of subways. And, and you know, it's a great system. It's not, I'm, I don't even, I'm not going to say it's the world's best. But problem, it's a great system. But it's a great it system. Is. It works fine. And uh, and it could be better if they if they were able to, you know, spend more money on the trains and and more, you know, like I know the MTA has its financial problems. It's just too much bureaucracy, I guess. And and plus, nobody's running it. I mean, it's like the, the, it's a division of labor that just uh, all yeah. they can do is blame each other. Uh, so like here, here, but and and when there's a real problem, nobody wants to fuck with it. They're supposed to be cleaning the cars between one and five a.m. They I also spent an incredible amount of money this year bringing in contractors to decent, you know, sanitize the cars every night. Oh my God. Oh, my God. So all that's going on. Okay. We have here somebody who got... This is my fantasy would be to get to do this. I wish that I would see the mayor out walking around somewhere so that I could, I don't know, just sort of greet him in this way. How you doing? Not fucking good, you fucking rat scumbag, fucking fag. You're in the wrong fucking city, you fucking scumbag. Oh, take your fucking mask off, fucking scumbag. Fuck you. Fuck all you motherfuckers. The Blasio, you're a fucking, fucking cunt rag. Fucking rat, fuck out of here. Beautiful. That's a thing of beauty. That, which, that's going to be my ringtone, I think. He, he's actually got an el- eloquent 
choice of uh, words there. He actually strings some adjectives together that uh, fucking fucking cut rag. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah, that's a, a little a kind of a stammering. Uh, uh, fucking, he, he, it was his last chance to say anything, but he did. He did. That was actually quite novel. Um, <laughs> He's a very colorful individual. This person, but this is the anger. I mean, is this guy a little bit wacky? I mean, who knows? I don't know. Sounds like a per- perfectly normal guy having a rational reaction to a bad situation. It's funny when I listen to him. I said, "Did this guy come off the Sopranos?" Uh, hey, you cunt, Rick. Hey, yo. <laughs> hey, not too good. And it, it, but people are angry. Not fucking good, you fucking rat, scumbag, fucking fag. Uh, he's obviously an old school type New Yorker. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would I say he's a renaissance man? Uh, he's not um, hewing to the uh, politically correct sort of no. It's not political protocols correct. of you know to to call him a fag. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. That was the one word I would take out of it. Uh, that that word. I think you should have said it more. We differ on that. I I, I think that I think it's a perfect word. I would have called him a ball bag, uh, some or a bucket. Uh, you know, a some, bucket. Yeah. You know, just. Uh, I think I, if you would have gotten commie in there, I would have liked it. Exactly. I would have been throwing a few commies out there. Or corrupt grifter, scam artist, thief. Wife of the ugliest woman in the world. Hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> she's not attractive, and neither is her wife, Bill. No, not but she's got mad skills at stealing. That's, you know, the, the, we got to keep the big picture in uh, Give her focus credit. here. Yeah, there's a reason he married her. Too opportunist, but... I mean, anybody that could steal nine hundred million bucks out of Thrive NYC, or as I say, Thieve NYC. Yeah, two two great opportunists who, who opportune great together. At what point? I mean, I, I watched that video, and it looks like uh, Bill at first is like, "Hey, how are you?" He and does then, this. What he says, "Yeah, how you doing?" Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. Clearly, the guy was making eye contact with him, and he's that. It, that's why he said you something. You saw Bill start putting his head down and. As big as his, as quick as his long ass legs could take him, he scurried away. He he almost breaks into a fucking run, man. He is taking big strides. Oh, take your fucking mask off, you right. fucking scumbag. <laughs> well, I think we know how he feels about masks. Uh, I wonder if I can find that guy and get him on the show. Vicky Palladino, you know, she did something similar. She made, she was a little more eloquent. She was eloquent. I want to know why you Germany and protesting against our country. Why are you in Germany? I want to know why you're doing that. Okay? I don't care about the trees. We'll work it out. Why did 18 million dollars to put in your cops' pockets? Okay? And pay your police officers. And stop spending it on money to go protest against our country. Don't worry about the trees. We'll take care of that. Your message to the mayor. My message to the mayor is simply this. I was driving by, I saw the mayor, I said to my husband, pull the car over, because I've had it with de Blasio, I've had it with the way he's running this city, everybody's had it with de Blasio, I don't think he has a friend in the city, but as far as I go, and our Queens constituents go, which are basically Republican, but that doesn't matter, this has got nothing to do with party lines, this has got all about to do with a liberal socialist mayor who is running our country, running our city, and has no regard for our country. So my simple question to the mayor was this. 
Why are you here talking about $18 million to correct sidewalks and to prune trees? which I've watched them prune trees and they do that totally wrong also, being in the landscaping business for 35 years. But let me not, let me not uh, digress. Let me stay on point. Point B, our tax dollars paid for this mayor to go to Germany to protest against our country, okay? That $18 million that he wants to spend on trimming trees, let him put it in our police officer's pocket. Well, you know, he, why was he in Germany, you know? As he was in Germany, I believe that was during the police officer's funeral he yes, went to Germany. He yeah. certainly did. The, the young woman, I think, who was killed um, in the Bronx, Mia Familia? Familia. Yeah, he jetted off to Germany for a meeting of his fellow traveler, Bolshevik types. I don't know what it was. Thrilled to have the opportunity to not be at a police officer's funeral. I mean, it's. I, I really think that if he didn't have something planned, and then he, you know, I he forget. I forget if he came back in time. I, I don't seem to. Re he came. He, he did not. Not for her funeral, but he came back to meet with her family. Oh, he also missed the the graduation of the cadets, which which the mayor traditionally yes. goes to. But you know what they. They hate his fucking guts anyway. I don't know if the cadets hate him yet, but they will. And when the police turned their back on Mayor de Blasio a few years ago... Well, I have a little story about that. Well, I was out in Queens at one of the funerals. And as the mass was... There was thousands of us standing out in the street in uniform. And everybody was kind of unsure who's going to turn around. Or, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. So it wasn't the first time, right? Because well, no. They turned his back on him the night... He showed up in the hospital. Yes, that was um, the first time. Every cop standing there turned around and gave him the back. And now we're at the funeral a few days later, and um, I noticed some out-of-state guys standing in the front rank. As soon as they said, and now the mayor of New York City, bang, these guys did the spin. The out-of-state guys. The out-of-state guys. No hesitation. In unison, they spun. Maybe they have they th less of a direct reason, but they have certainly no reason not to. Well, they also don't care. There's not going to be any repercussions. They don't work for them. That's what I mean. Yeah, they don't work for the mayor. And you could see eyes starting to shift around, and this young cop standing in front of me, rookie cop, bang, he spins around. So I'm like, bang, I spin around. Yep. And before you know it, almost to a cop, everybody turned their backs. I've seen uh, photos of that. It's dramatic. It, well, uh, Joan was watching the funeral on TV and got up to go to the kitchen. when she And she could actually see me. I didn't realize at the time, myself and... Uh, oh, you were in the shot. Oh, yeah. News 4 New York. And um, <laughs> myself and one of my old partners were standing next to each other. She could see us. And when she came back from the kitchen... The only thing she saw was the backs of thousands of cops. Um, when you look at the background of what happened in that incident with de Blasio trash-talking cops just a few days before, and yes. the guy came up from Philly. Was he in Philly or Baltimore? Baltimore. Um, on a mission and killed the two police officers sitting in the car. Yeah, Ramos and uh, Lou. Lou. Wenjin Lou. And... De Blasio, you know, I I think the rift between him and the police was final at that point. I don't. There was nothing that was 
don't I don't care how many times he can, he can come out. He, on occasion, he says nice things. And, oh, yeah, we have to support the police. Boy, that's rare. Um, he says some of those things when he thinks it's, when it, when it, it gets when it's to an serve extreme his point. Right, exactly. When um, it's expedient. You know, but the that that's it. It's that relationship is done. It's um, some people would disagree with me. Um, some people didn't agree with turning our backs on them. I mean, what can I say? I, I'm not a cop. Never been a cop. Never will be a cop. Will never fully understand what it is to be a cop. However, I I think I know which type I would be, which club I would be in there, and I would, I'd have to turn my back. Well, you know, but here, here's a tale of two mayors. You have the Blasio, a carpetbagger from Boston. And you have, when I was a rookie cop, Thanksgiving morning, 1982, I did a midnight shift watching the balloons being blown up on Central Park West. At that time, one of the first men's shelters in New York City was opened up. It was opened up on 155th Street and 8th Avenue. So like at 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, they says, all right, because there was a lot of protest going on at the time, you guys are going up to 155 and 8. And here we are standing on Central Park West. The, the way the police chart worked at that time, my squad happened to be working midnights that night. But there was a steady midnight crew of cops that always, they just did midnights. Most of these guys that were on this detail were steady midnight guys. And, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving morning. You want to go home to your family and celebrate Thanksgiving. Sure. Well, they send us up there. You want to talk about a crew of surly, angry. I'm the youngest guy there by far and large, 20 years. Mm. These guys were steaming. They were absolutely livid. So now here we are standing. We're all up at the uh, men's shelter. There's one protester there. That's it. One guy. They put a couple of cops out there to stand out there to watch the one guy. And everybody else was inside the gym. It was an old school building. So around 9... 10 o'clock in the morning, when the Thanksgiving Day Parade will be kicking off, who pulls up but Ed Koch? And, you know, I'm a young kid, 21, 22 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, I says, here's this guy, he's the mayor of New York City. Where is he? When the biggest event on Thanksgiving Day in the United States, which is the Macy's Day Parade, is kicking off, he's up at the men's shelter talking to 80 angry, pissed-off, disgruntled cops. And I have to give this man his credit where credit was due. He was a man of the people. He knew how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. He walked in. He had two big boxes of cookies, uh, <laughs> chocolate, home-baked chocolate chip cookies. And he got up there. He spoke for a few minutes. And at the time, the Patrolman's Benevolent Association was in a contentious negotiation uh, with the city over pay raises. Koch got up there, get up on the stage. Hey, guys, how are you? I heard there was a little snafu this morning. Don't worry. We're going to get you guys home to your families today. He says, to show you my appreciation, he says, I got up early this morning, and I baked you guys two boxes of chocolate chip cookies. Give me a break. And, which, of course, he didn't, you know. But yeah, but that's nice. It's, that's a nice. It's do you nice. think? De Blasio will be standing no. up there talking to a bunch of pissed-off cops? He, if he had the cookies and was down the block, he wouldn't deliver them Here's to the Here's the kicker. Some cop, and these old cops were ballsy. You know, it's not a lot. You know, it's a room, and there's not a... When you think about it, not that many people there. There's some police supervisors there, bosses and captains. Mm-hmm. And this cop says to him, 
stick them up your ass. We want a pay raise. Nice. And Koch, without missing a beat, he says, no thanks. I had breakfast already. You guys have a happy Thanksgiving. And wow. he walked out the door. Wow. I have to tell you. Yeah, we did have the one angry. That had to get a big laugh. We laughed our balls off. Um, you just couldn't help it. When something's funny, it's funny. And that's the way Koch was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was just a, you know, just a down-to-earth New York kind of guy. Now we got now we got Mr. Boston here, Mr. Mr. Blue Blood. Mr. Personality. That wasn't a thing about de Blasio, too. And people go, well, it's not like he ever said, hey, come and shoot cops. No, he didn't say that. But see, the thing is, they go, what does he do exactly? Like, it, the thing that you said a minute ago, I, I remember... Uh, uh, you know, you said occasionally he'll say the right thing. Even when he says the right thing, he says the wrong thing, okay? Like, about resisting arrest, you know? You just can't resist arrest now. You just can't resist. Well, no shit. You know, I mean, the way he's saying that makes it sound like it's, I know that it's subtle, but it's like saying you just can't rob banks. You just can't, you know, it, it, there's, it's just, that's not the way you say that. You go, resisting arrest is... Out of the question. When I listen to him speak, it's always, it, it seems to be dripping either with condescension or mm -hmm. there's always like an implication there. Exactly. After uh, they came back, no bill on uh, Pantaleo down in Staten Island. And he goes, uh, this is over um, Eric Garner's death. And he goes, um, listen, I know that all of New York is very hurt right now and very upset. It's a very emotional day for our city. It's a very painful day for so many New Yorkers. That is the core reality. So many people in the city are feeling pain right now. We're grieving over the loss of Eric Garner. That pain, that simple fact is felt again so sharply today. There's going to be some need to express that. But here and now, so many New Yorkers will ask the question, what will happen next? People will express themselves now as they should in a democracy. Please. I ask everyone to listen to what Ben Garner said, be peaceful. And even in the midst of his painting, one of the things he stopped, said so squarely was, there can't be violence. He said, Eric would not have wanted violence. Violence won't get us anywhere. It was so sharp and clear in his desire, despite his pain, I found it noble. Could only imagine what it took for him to summon that. So he's saying, of course you're going to go protest. You know, exactly. of course, you're going to be out there raising hell. And once that's happening, you can tell people all you want. Be peaceful. Well, you know, the mayor's admonition is not going to be the first thing that they're thinking of. No. You know, when they have something heavy in their hand and there's a window and nearby or something. Eric Garner's son said as well, if you really want to dignify the life of Eric Garner, you will do so through peaceful protest. You will work relentlessly for change. I'll just finish a couple more points and then I want to say something in Spanish. But you see what I mean by that? You know, like ex like when um, Deborah Danner was shot, she had a bat, and unfortunately Sergeant Barry had to, you know, defend himself and his partner. So he comes out the next day, the next morning, the next morning, none of the facts does he have. No investigation has been done to, to the degree that it would need to be for him to make this sort of a statement. It shouldn't have happened. Should never have happened. I spoke to Deborah Danner's sister. I told her, 
You know, he goes into his black voice, you know, I told her. The sergeant's union is taking on the police commissioner and the mayor after they spoke out against the sergeant who shot and killed a woman in the Bronx. For the second night, protesters took to the streets to protest the death of 66-year-old Deborah Danner, who suffered from schizophrenia. It's tough to listen to. You well, know? here's you got to remember something with Danner. That, that was an issue that was going on for 20 years. Uh, yeah. You know, there was major issues in that building. Schizophrenia. I don't think Sergeant Barry was aware of that fully. But this was an ongoing issue, a failure of every other system in New York City. But now let's blame the cops. Just hours earlier, the president of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association spoke out, saying that New York City officials rushed to judgment of Sergeant Hugh Barry. He was placed on modified duty and stripped of his gun and shield after the shooting. Commissioner O'Neill has opened his mouth too soon, and it, Mayor de Blasio is once again way off base. We cannot trust the police to police other police. Danner was armed with a bat when she was shot. The SBA president says that officers are trained that a bat is a deadly weapon and that the sergeant acted accordingly. Well, that went on. Complete failure by our vaunted social services net, you know, mm -hmm. the stuff like Thrive NYC is supposed to take care of. It is, and, and uh, there's another law. It's, um, I forget the name of the girl, but it's, I think, Kendra's law. Right. Which, which simply says that if somebody is not taking their medication and there's, there are issues, then they can be sort of um, helped along in that process uh, to well, make sure that they do what they need to do to take care of themselves. It, it's, it's, uh, it sounds more big brothery than it is. Yeah, well, there were certain... Let's put it this way. He got thrown under the bus within hours of the actual incident. Yes. It was bad. It was ugly. When you start an investigation like that, you don't conclude it in two hours or make a snap judgment as to what happened. Yeah, and you certainly don't come out and make a statement like that. Um, I, I believe O'Neill made a statement the next day that was not good. He was forced to. And um, I know that he hated doing that. Sometimes you have to say... We're not doing that. But but the damage had already been done by other people. I see what you mean. Because eventually he did leave. He left. And I, and I think it was just as the mayor had wanted him to do something. I don't recall what. Well, that was the it was a huge issue over firing Pantaleo. Oh. Um, there's a lot of... For his by-the-book uh, arrest of Eric Garner. Uh, well, there's, I don't know what the whole story is. Um, do they let him... Resigned? Did they, did they fire him? And he didn't. He would not resign. Well, at the end of the day, it was it was a moot point because he was fired. He was fired after a departmental trial, after being cleared by two federal civil rights investigations. Uh, yeah, and uh, it didn't matter. That was preordained, and they were going to do this guy stretching over two he administrations. Yes, multiple AGs. Uh, you had Loretta Lynch, who brought in the second group. Of, and, of federal investigators, and I'll tell you what, Loretta Lynch's crew—you, you, you want to talk about a crew of hangmen? There's something there. They find it. Well, no, they'll just—they'll destroy you anyway. But it's well, even uh, they couldn't hang them. Yeah, that's meaning that there was nothing there, uh, and they couldn't hang them. And yeah, that, that's what I say about Mike Brown. If Eric Holder comes to town and looks the whole thing over and goes, yeah, okay, the, then that should tell you something. Yeah. But you know what? Doesn't look, matter. Look what happened with Eric Brown. They, they, Brown, Mike, Brown. Mike Brown. They crafted a narrative and another gentle giant. 
Well, who just did a robbery, but that's neither here nor there. So gently, though. On this program, your client was interviewed on this very program. Yes. And did not mention anything about a robbery, nothing about a QT, nothing at all. All he mentioned was a confrontation with police on Canfield Drive. That had nothing to do with the incident that occurred. The officer did not know that they had robbed that plate. Not robbed. I'm sorry. Let me take that back. The officer did not know that they had gone into that store and taken some of those cigarillos. He just did not know. But isn't there a certain deception and omission? Isn't that lying through omission by night? Yes. Someone asked you about what happened. Listen, that is correct. Um, leading up to this to this incident, and you don't tell them yes. the interviewer on this program. Yes. Your client was interviewed on this very program. Not at all. They Based on what we know, yes. The line is when you say something that's not true. Nobody asked him, what did you all do before you all came in contact with the officer? If you had asked him, we would have told you that they had robbed that plate. Not robbed. But I'm sorry. Let me take here's that Here's the situation. Now, they had the video. They knew what was already going on. And at the re request of the Justice Department, the local PD didn't release it. Um, and in four days, that blew up into a really like the rocket fuel for BLM. Oh, it was fucking nuts. Vincent Ferguson, they have most sharply framed this discussion nationally for all of us here. It conforms to something bigger that you've heard come out in the protests in Ferguson and all over the country. This is now a national moment of grief, a national moment of pain and searching for a solution. And you've heard in so many places, people of all backgrounds utter the same basic phrase. They've said, Black Lives Matter. And they said it because it had to be said. It's a phrase that should never have to be said. It should be self-evident. But our history, sadly, requires us to say that black lives matter. We're not just dealing with a problem in 2014. We're not dealing with years of racism leading up to it or decades of racism. We are, we are dealing with centuries of racism. Hands up, don't shoot. Which is still said today, regardless of its lack of uh, truth. It never, never happened. Story concocted by somebody, repeated by the, the friend. Repeated by the media. Who later said he was lying and was lying. It didn't matter. I mean, it's such a catchy thing, though. Hands up, don't shoot. Was, I wonder if, if he was given that. Here we are six years later. And we're still deal still dealing with it. They still have their hands up, but their hands are not up now to uh, show they don't have a gun. No, or their anything. hands are up now to punch yeah. people in the face, That's punch right. cops in the face, with spit on yeah. them, or raise a fist to uh, you know BLM. It's uh, you know BLM. Uh, or I think the day they considered their their actual you know origin start date was when uh, Zimmerman, who wasn't a was, cop, um, was found. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't even a cop. You know, but he gets swept in with them. He gets swept in with them, but you know, he's also Latino, white Latino. You remember? <laughs> Excuse me, white Hispanic. But people have asked me on over the years. I, said, I always thought he was a bit of a kook. Not the self-appointed. Certainly painted as one. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's not a police officer. He's oh. a private citizen. Ooh. Acted legally to save his own life when he was getting the shit beaten out of him. Badly. You know, he was very badly beaten up by Trayvon Martin, who was much, much larger than he was in the photos they circulated. That's another thing that's neither here, here nor there. But Well, I mean, a 10-year-old kid is not going to beat the shit out of this guy. You know what I mean? But this he was not a 10-year-old kid. No, but I'm not I'm a big sorry. I saw a recent movie that kind of like put this in pretty stark relief for me. Oh, okay. A Joel uh, Gilbert documentary about it. I mean, it was weird. They had a fake witness, you know. His girlfriend or whatever. Well, fake witnesses work, you know. If, 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 <laughs> You're you know. trying to just put a guy, you know, in behind bars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, until the story falls apart. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm, I keep interrupting you, Pete. I'm sorry. No, that's they when he was found not guilty. That was the beginning of BLM. They considered that their start date. That was back in what 2013, I think. And then you know we went from there. So they were always looking for the next Trayvon, and they got it in Eric Garner, and then they got it in Spades with uh, Michael Brown. You know, and and those things happened. Boom, boom. We're just talking about BLM here, 2015, and then from then on. So I think that was part of why. Trump became such a fucking lightning rod, you know, because these other two movements were rising counter to that. Meanwhile, you had a lot of people who voted for Obama, didn't like how things turned out, voted for Trump the next time. I mean, both of them were saying similar things in a way, not politically, but, you know, change. People wanted shit to change. Yes. and But you know what? We're, what are we heading back into now? Uh, who the fuck knows, man? Yeah, I, I don't think the strife that's going on right now. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, no, no. Our only hope is to die well, free men. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what's going to happen here in New York City. I, um, I don't well, know. I'm going to have to look too hard to find a bunch of shit I said that they don't like. Oh, they'll come for you. Yeah, I mean, I can I can hardly wait. I, you know, I, I always wanted to be a patriot without ever having to go through basic training, you know, and... Uh, and stuff like I that. mean, I, I, I take a lot of the stuff that these people say. Some of it you got to take with a grain of salt. But when they're saying, like, when the presumed to be future vice president comes out and says, we're going to grab, we're going to hunt down the people that supported Trump. Uh, well, number one, you really shouldn't be saying that. That's if you're, outlandish. If you're, you know, running for with Joe Biden. Was it said maybe just half in jest to, a, to an audience or... But you know what? Hmm. Do I think they're going to go that far? No, I would hope not. Um, they're certainly going to go that far. But are. Of do they I are. think cancel culture is going to continue? Or people go, or you see what's going on with, with Facebook and Twitter. I mean, they've completely throttled any opposing viewpoints. Yeah, stuff that's factual, stuff that's like photographs, photographic evidence they've throttled. They've throttled. And YouTube, same deal. We're talking about, you know, doctors talking about COVID, saying like, no, I mean, we are doctors and this is our point of view. We're saying it. Like, nope, that's false information. False or misleading information. Misleading. So Misleading is a very funny word when you say, oh, that's what you want to do is lead us. You don't yes. want us to be led in the wrong direction. As long as you go in our direction, you'll be fine. Yes, you will not be misled. It's uh, There's dark days ahead, maybe, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, I don't know if you had any laughs in this episode. No one's listening at this point anyway. We've been talking for 58 minutes. Everybody well, we always phone. do such bright, happy topics like <laughs> homicides and... Uh, yes. Robbery, murder, rape, hilarious. All the fun stuff. Um, you know, the Teespring stopped selling my shirt that has that on the back. Robbery, murder, rape, hilarious. And I, and I know what the objection is. You know, nobody has any problem with robbery, murder, hilarious, right? It's a, what? Rape is hilarious. Um, but when you think about it, really, robbery is... is, is yeah, it is really nothing funny. No small thing. And murder also, you know, hey, murder kills. I don't uh, know if you've heard and it. And it's, it's, murder tends to be a permanent situation. Oh, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yes, we have stories coming up on the next episode, including a guy in Queens who beat his girlfriend to death for cheating. 
somehow she ended up on the ground outside of, I think it's like a six-story window or something. Well, it just depends on who you listen to as far as what's the truth in that story. And, uh, I, I will leave you guys with a, a word of hope here. Thank you, Pete, for, for joining me today. Glad to be here. Not fucking good, you fucking rat scumbag, fucking fag. You're in the wrong fucking city, you fucking scumbag. Oh, take your fucking mask off, you fucking scumbag. Fuck you, fuck all you motherfuckers. The Blasio, you're a fucking fucking cunt rat, fucking rat. Thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report. Fuck all you motherfuckers.